We open God's word together. A grace we've begun to work through the book of First Kings, and so I'd encourage you to turn to that book, to First Kings. We'll be turning to First Kings chapter two. First Kings chapter two. We will be reading the first eleven verses, and this will also be our text as we contemplate and meditate upon God's word together this morning. First Kings chapter two, beginning at verse one. Beloved, hear the word of God Himself. Now the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And keep charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. The Lord may fulfill his word, which he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons take heed to their walk, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Moreover, you know also what Joab the son of Zariah did to me, and what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner the son of Ner, and Amasa the son of Jether, whom he killed. And he shed the blood of war in peacetime, and put the blood of war on his belt, and was around his waist, and on his sandals that were on his feet. Therefore do according to your wisdom, and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. But show kindness to the sons of Bazarelli, the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table, for so they came to me when I fled from Absalom your brother. And see, you have with you Shimei the son of Gera, a Benjamite from the Baharium, who cursed me with a malicious curse in the, in the days when I went to Mahamium. But he came down to meet me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with a sword. Now therefore do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man, and know what you ought to do to him. Bring his, bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. As for the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God, beloved, stands forever. <laughs> Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you knew that your death was imminent, if you knew your death was coming soon, what would you want to communicate to your children, to your wife, to your husband? What would you want your final words to be? With the death of David, an era ends for Israel. Many of the problems that Israel had faced for years have been Temporarily, anyways, solved. Israel had become prosperous. They were living in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as God had promised, and living in relative peace, although peace, although that peace was not complete, nor was it permanent at this point. But on his deathbed, David knew he was about to go the way of all flesh. This means that he was not going to be the king that he was not going to be the conqueror. As good as David was, he still had his faults, even very serious ones. We, we know the story of David. We know those faults well. And now as he looks at his coming death, he pulls his son Solomon, the heir to the throne, aside to impart to him some final words of wisdom on how he should rule God's people. 
So as we contemplate 1 Kings chapter 2, 1 through 11, our theme will be this, beloved, as David lies on his deathbed, he reminds the church what her true king should look like. As David lies in his deathbed, he reminds the church what her true king should look like. We'll take this up under two points. First, the heart of the king. And second, the action of the king. The heart of the king and the action of the king. Children, let me ask you, when it comes to King David, when it comes to that king we know so well, what made him such a mighty, victorious, well-loved king? What sticks out about him? Was it because he was like Julius Caesar, one who sought personal glory? I came, I saw, I conquered. No, that's not what we think of when we think of King David, although we do think of a mighty warrior. Was David so wonderful because he killed Goliath with merely a single stone? Well, that's a wonderful thing, but it wasn't David's power that killed Goliath the giant. Was it because David grabbed a lion by the mane and a bear and killed both of them to protect his sheep? Well, those are wonderful things, but they pointed to something greater about the king. At the end of the day, Paul reminds us in Acts 13.22 that God raised up David. God raised up David to be Israel's king, of whom he testified, Paul says, and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. A man who loves me. A man who loves my ways. A man whom Paul says that the Lord thought of as a man who would do his will. Not David's might, not David's power, but a man who loved the Lord. A man who sought to do God's will. That's what set David apart. And now as David prepares to die, to go the way of all flesh, he calls upon his son Solomon to heed his words of wisdom. To hear him. If he wants his reign to be a prosperous one, a good reign, a reign that establishes the kingdom, he must hear David's advice. And David begins his begins this imparting of his blessing and his his call upon Solomon by explaining to him what the heart of a king should look like, what the character of a godly king should look like. First, this king needs to be strong. Look with me, look with me at verses one and two of our text. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, he when now now the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore. Prove yourself a man. We talk in a similar way today, don't we, when we encourage each other? Man up. Be strong. Encounter someone who's being a bit timid, someone who's unsure about doing the right thing. We say, man up. Be a man. Do what you're called to do. Do the right thing. Tell the truth. Do the risky thing that needs to be done. Be strong. Show yourself to be a man. Humility is a good thing, right? We think, well, pastor, we think of the Lord Jesus and we think of him as meek and mild and humble. And indeed, that's who Jesus was. A humble man, a man after God's own heart, a man who who sought to do the will of his father. But he was willing to do the right thing. He was willing to say the hard things. He showed himself to be a man. Humility is a good thing. Timidity and fear are not. So David calls upon Solomon, be a man. 
do the right thing even when it's difficult. And certainly this has to do with also with being a man in battle, which is often where this phrase would have been used in the time of Solomon. Go out, be that valiant warrior, fight for God's people, save God's people, protect God's people. But the strength that you have will not come from the fact that you are, that you are muscle bound, that you are good with your bow, but that you're a man after God's own heart. A man who loves the Lord, who loves his ways, a man who knows the Lord, a man who has intimate fellowship with the Lord, a man who meditates upon the Lord and his word, a man who walks with the Lord. So where does the strength come from? Walking in God's ways, keeping the commandments of the Lord. Look with me at verse 3. And keep charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. David calls Solomon to godly obedience. You see, congregation, some people are convinced that if they know Jesus, if they claim Jesus as their Savior, well, then they can live however they want. Their actions don't matter. Since salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and since I contribute nothing to my salvation, it doesn't matter how I live. It's rejection of God's law is the guide. We call this antinomianism. But, beloved, we don't live this way with our own spouses, do we? When we're married, we don't live as if we are single. We live as we are, as someone who is married. We remain faithful to our spouse, spend time getting to know our spouses more and more deeply. And the same is true of God if we are united to him through Christ. We need to live in a way that pleases him. Not because that will save us, but because he has saved us. We live as we are, those united to Christ. So David encourages Solomon, walk in the ways of the Lord. Keep the Lord's statues. And as good as a king as David was, he, he knew the importance of this, didn't he? Because he had failed to walk in the ways of God. Failed to keep the Lord's statutes. In Second Samuel 11 verse 27, capping off David, the account of David's affair with Bathsheba and the death of their son, we read literally that what David had done was evil. Evil in the sight of the Lord. But David, after the man after God's own heart, he knew firsthand what walking apart from God looked like. There was literally death. In Psalm 38, he speaks of the wounds of sin as if they were stinking, festering, and rotten flesh. Solomon, walk in the ways of the Lord so that it may go well with you and all Israel. But even here we see the grace of God. For as we just said, David failed miserably. David had fallen far short. In some ways, he was no different than the wicked king who came before him, King Saul. The good news is that in spite of this, the Lord remained faithful to David. David knew his sin. We know from Psalm 51 how much his, his sin grieved him. And so he came to the Lord saying, I, I come to you not with, with sacrifices, but with a broken heart. For I know in repentance that way you will receive me. David knew it was not about his actions, but about the goodness, the kindness, the grace of God. My son Solomon, be strong in the Lord 
That's where strength is. Not in killing lions, bears, and Philistines, but in following the law of God, even when your flesh tells you that something is better. True godly strength denies itself. It takes up its cross. It follows God. It lives before his faith and his face in repentance and faith. But congregation, lest we start to think that this is some type of works righteousness that David is trying to impart to Solomon. David makes it clear that he's not speaking of just mere naked obedience to Saul, Saul, Saul to Solomon. Solomon, obey the Lord and it will go well with you. Heed his commandments and all will be well. David also calls Solomon to remember God's faithfulness to his people. God's glorious, mighty acts of redemption when his people were completely helpless. And that's a big thrust in what we get from that call that David gives to know the law of Moses. Most often when we hear that phrase, the law of God, the first thing we go to is to think of God's commandments. Do this. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Worship me alone. And this is good and this is true. But when the scriptures reference the law of God, especially the law of Moses, Children, what do you remember? What what books of the Bible come to mind when you hear that phrase, the law of God? We think of Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Think of Numbers. But even in these books, along with Exodus and Genesis, what do we see in that law of Moses? We see a glorious account of God saving his people. God's people crying out and God hearing their voice and saving them when they could not save themselves. We hear of God's people rebelling against him. Yes, the Lord punishing them, but the Lord bringing them back onto the straight and narrow once again. The law of God not only shows us and gives us the commands of God, but it also gives us a story of redemption, the ways in which God has sovereignly and single-handedly acted to save his people who could not save themselves. So David says to Solomon, know God's deliverance. Remember what God has graciously and mercifully done for his people over and over and over again. Meditate upon these things, Solomon. Remind God's people of these things, Solomon. That's what they need. They need to know who their God is as Redeemer and Savior. So then David says, if you find strength, if you meditate upon and remember God's redemption for you and for your people, if you trust him with all your heart, that will be success. Be strong, be obedient. Remember God's redemption, then you will be successful. Verse 4, that the Lord may fulfill his word, which he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons take heed on their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. And notice here where the emphasis is once again, that the Lord, that the Lord may fulfill his word. At the end of the day, the sovereign, gracious word of God is what brings this all to pass. Not you, not your action, not your obedience, but the sovereign action of God. David could not accomplish these things on his own. If you know the story of Solomon, you know he cannot accomplish these things on his own. And the rest of the books of Kings, we see these things unravel more and more how desperately God's people needed him to come to them in sovereign grace. 
the congregation, the, the Lord speaks of the character of the king. He also speaks then of the action of the king, what his legacy would be. Look with me at verses 5 and 6 of our text. Moreover, you know also what Joab, the son of Zariah, did to me, and what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Admir, the son of Ner, and to Massah, the son of Jether, whom he killed. And he shed the blood of war in peacetime and put the blood of war on his belt that was around his waist and on his sandals that were on his feet. Therefore do according to your wisdom and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. But then he says in verse 7 this, But show kindness to the sons of Bazarale, the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For so they came to me when I fled from Absalom your brother. Also see you have with you Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite from Beharium, who cursed me with a malicious curse in the day when I went to Mahanium. And when he came down to meet with me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now therefore do not hold him guiltless, for you were a wise man and know what you ought to do to him, but bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. What a contrast we have in these couple verses. We have see here that the king, God's king, the man of God, the man appointed by God, will differentiate between the sheep and the goats, so to speak. There will be those to whom he shows mercy and those who will receive his judgment for what they have done. But that's not what all scholars think. Some scholars tut-tut David as being a vindictive man here, undoing everything that he had just said about godliness and strength. David is just seeking revenge. He's being vengeful. But beloved, I, I think we do well to side with those who disagree. In these verses, David indeed calls upon Solomon to bring vengeance on those who have harmed his reign. But as we've been noting, what kind of a king was David? Who appointed David as king? Whose line of succession? Who established the line of succession that we refer to here? David is not angry about those who merely hurt him, but those who appoint who opposed God's appointed king. Those who opposed God's appointed king will suffer the consequences of going against not just a man, but going against God himself. There is a time of patience and long-suffering from the king. There was time of patience and long-suffering with David, but that time will come to an end. Justice will be served. Justice will be done. Think of our own world even now today. Christ Jesus reigns upon the throne, does he not? We're reminded of Philippians 2 verse 10 that at the name of every Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess in heaven and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you long for justice to be served, if you long for the right things to be done, if you long for the enemies of God to be put in their place, if you long for Satan to finally be cast into hell forever, then you're like David. We also must be like him in waiting for the greater son to come to deliver justice in full. After saying these things, David breathes his last. He passes away, verses 10 through 12 in our text. So David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. The period that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron and in Jerusalem. He reigned 33 years. And Solomon sat on the 
throne of his father David and his kingdom was firmly established. For those who knew David as the king, there was a time of peace. For those who rejected his reign and rejected the reign of his son, it was a time of judgment. But as we've alluded to, this could not be the be-all, end-all of God's promise. For David died. He was not the king that Israel was looking for. He was not the conqueror that Israel needed. He was not the redeemer that Israel needed. There had to be another. It wasn't Solomon. It wasn't Rehoboam nor any other king that followed. But beloved, that was until later on. God would keep his promise, his word. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. The Lord God knows the heart of his people. He knows the longing of their souls, the deepest longing of their hearts. So Isaiah chapter 40, we read these words in verses 1 through 11. God's people now in disarray. God's people carried off into captivity. God's people wondering what they would ever see their land again. See their king upon the throne again. And the Lord says to them these words. Comfort. Yes, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice said, Cry out. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. O Zion, you who bring up good tidings, get up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem. You who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are with young. Love of the Lord promised that this king would come, the perfect shepherd king. And centuries later, there was one who came again into Jerusalem in humility. One who came not with chariots, not with a host of men and entourage, but one who came riding upon the foal of a donkey. One who would go on to be killed by his own brethren. And yet in his death, the greatest victory of the battle ever was won. Christ Jesus came into Jerusalem as that greater son of David, laid down his life for his sheep, laid down his life for his chosen people. He was raised again for their justification and beloved. That king reigns upon the throne of David now and forevermore. So as we conclude this morning, I ask you, what king are you looking for? I ask you, do you know the king of kings? Do you know the Lord of lords? Do you know Jesus Christ, the greater son of Solomon? The one who comes in the name of the Lord, the, come, the one who comes to make peace between God and man. Beloved, look to him, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and be saved.
Amen.